Hi again, everybody. John Porteous of the Lovells Township Historical Society here, and you're listening to the Backcast Podcast. This is our hot stove edition, and this week we've got Gary Lewicki and Ed Lohr, who are our chief and assistant chief uh, for our volunteer fire department. We're going to talk about spring fire safety and uh, just some general best practice stuff. So I think you'll find it informative, regardless of where you live. Uh, It's pertinent. So... Hunker down and listen up. Well, good. Hey again, everybody. It's uh, John Porteous and my illustrious co-host, Richard Perry. Good evening. Live from the, uh, plausibly live from the banks of the North Branch of the Asable. So World Headquarters. Exactly. World Headquarters. <laughs> the, uh, we're joined tonight uh, by Gary Lewicki and Ed Lohr of our local volunteer fire department. We're going to learn a bit about these guys, um, hear a little bit about um, what what folks should, maybe some best practices for a dry spring or a dry summer, for that matter, or just best homeowner practices, whatever, you know, that might lead to. So, um, Gary, since you're the chief, I'll let you kick it off and... Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and what what brought you into serving the public like this. Well, first off, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Gary Lewicki, Lovells Township Fire Chief. I've been with Lovells Township Fire Department for approximately 30 years. Worked my way all the way up from firefighter to, to the chief. Uh, I got started in it. Actually, I came to the local fundraiser and... They kind of cornered me and says, come on and join us. So that's basically all it took. There you go. Yeah, so <laughs> coming in to help my community and been doing it ever since. Yeah. We're, we're, we're grateful for all you guys and uh, and for your leadership. So, Ed, how about you? How'd you get into the game? So I got into it about 15 years ago, I think it was. Um, my name is Ed Lohr. I'm the Deputy Chief, Lovells Township Fire Department. And uh, the assistant chief back then pursued me for about a year. And finally, I uh, convinced myself to come up to one of the business meetings and just kind of took to the camaraderie and the, what we were doing is to help the community and, and the, the folks that were there and um, to help provide it. What motivates me is to provide help to the fire department, if you will, the staff that are there, and mm-hmm. then that helps the community as well. Um, knowing that if I don't come on a call, it makes it harder for them, motivates me to make sure I come and help them and help the community at the same time and, right um you know so i started as a firefighter emt and then worked my way up to deputy chief that's awesome yeah. that's awesome we've got kind of a unique fire department don't we it, it, as differing communities go it's you know we've got the regular folks owning property and having homes and such but we're surrounded by lots of forest um, we also have, uh, some shared neighbors, uh, uh, with the, uh, various military ranches mm-hmm. in the area. Do you guys interact with them? Is that kind of above and beyond the regular, Yeah, I mean, what we, people might visualize as a, a regular fire situation? When it gets into the ordinance that they're using, things of that nature, we don't play too big of a part in that, um. We have assisted them with uh, medical calls where they bring the troop out to the road 
and then we um, take them from there. We do our uh, first responder duties there and then transport them, get them into the transporting ambulance to go to town, things of that nature. Um, a lot of times what we are responding to for the military is vehicle accidents and um, wildland fires, you know, with the, with the things that they're uh, using every day out there. It gets a bit hot and in the right environment can cause a wildland fire. They usually, as long as it stays inside their fenced area or inside of their impact area, they'll let it burn because that's just removing the fuel for the next uh, round of training. But when it leaves the fenced-in area, then we have to respond to it to, to uh, protect the property, which that would be the state forest or um, personal property surrounding. So, And usually when that happens, we'll um, assist the DNR on the outer perimeter of the range, the fenced-in range. So, Do you guys work with the DNR if, if, if there's a, you know, a fire on state land here? On all, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. You guys fight residential fires and uh, forest fires, actually. Yep, we do. So in a moldy. We're kind of under the understanding, we've always had this, that we're not <clears throat> too equipped for the wildland. We are to a certain point. And if there's structures involved, Lovells Township will move into the structure protection phase while the uh, the DNR will go ahead and take, okay. take care of the wildland fire. Okay. Yeah. But you, but you're in each instance you're you're there to partner with these other guys. Correct. And, Let's just say know. it's in kind of say in the middle of nowhere. Then we'll just work along with the DNR for the wildland fire. Okay. And if it's in near residentials, well, then we kind of go into we do actually both, but we'll be mainly watching for structure protection. Okay. Mm -hmm. Look, we had one. Was that last weekend? No, it was the weekend before. And. Um, we were actually the first on scene and we requested the DNR to come and support um, because it, it, it was about two acres in size. So knowing our capability and, and the, the specialty that they have, they have the equipment for it, um, things of that nature, we request them right away. We battled it until they got on scene, then we joined forces with them. And if it would have moved out into a structure area, we would have shift gears and removed ourselves from the wildland fire aspect and went into the structure protection. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of times we're really not sure if it's state land we're dealing with or private. So okay. it's hard to say. Yeah. Sure. We don't know every plot. Of, you know, well, they're not levels. all nicely right. lined. Right. <laughs> to be honest, the last one we were on, we had no clue if it was private or state. Did you ever find out, Ed? Mm -mm. I didn't either. So nope. uh, Usually the best way to do it is talk to the uh, gentleman in charge with the DNR. And okay. Yeah, they give us... We fought one about three years ago, got it all put out and everything, come to find out it wasn't even in our county or our jurisdiction. It was <laughs> it was in Otsego County. Well, you're and good helpers. At, yeah, and at, at the end of the fire, the DNR, he come up and he said, uh, by the way, did you know this isn't in your county? And I said, really? So, but we had uh, three mutual aid departments in other counties because it was at the what they call the Four Corners. It's four county corners and everybody was there except actually the one that who uh the who's, primary yeah the primary <laughs> county he says what do you want to do i says well let's give them a call <laughs> that's funny well you, you know it's we're we're still we're still in march and you know we can still 
uh, probably count on a little more snow before it's all said and done. But I understand we've, you guys have already handled a couple of wildfires this year. We and have. We just have. because we haven't had that hard a winter. Correct. Uh, we haven't had that much precipitation. And uh, I'm, I think as a routine, you know, you get the low humidity and the winds coming up in the spring, then it makes mm. for tinder. <laughs> Correct. So, I mean, we've even fought wildland fires half covered in snow. You know, the dry areas lighten up. So, but the snow is always our friend, burns up to the snow and kind of slows down. Yeah. And we've even had a couple where they tried to drop a trench line and the frost is still in the ground, so they can't really trench it. So. That's fine. Mm -hmm. yeah. Probably won't be a problem this year. Right. Well, so were, were these a, a function of a weather event, a physical issue, or was somebody just doing some winter deadfall burning? Um, the first one was a brush pile that was kind of put in a bad location under power lines. And when it got big, <laughs> they got concerned. But by the time we got there, it was pretty much through the main part of the fire and said, okay, we'll just pick a better location next time everything was secure. And then on the second one, we were really not sure what started that one. Mm -hmm. It's kind of in the middle of nothing, along a trail road and leading into private property. And uh, we did find one clue, um, a, cigarette, a cigar butt. Mm. And... After speaking with the DNR, he said the humidity was too high to start that fire, but he didn't rule it out. And that was the only, you know, suspicious thing we found yeah. around it. It was 2.2 uh, acres. We do kind of a surround walk around looking, but hmm. yeah, it's hard to say. So Yeah. Well, what's... So for folks that live up in this part of the world, you know, we do have, you know, the unique sand content in our in our soil and um so when when we get wet great but that wet doesn't always last so how do how do you are there best practices that folks can observe uh when when we're in dry season or when you've got the little thermometer pointing to high danger or whatever so the best thing to do is to you know, for the community that's right here that's listening is to always log on to michigan.gov and verify if there are burn permits for the area. Um, if there are not burn permits being issued for that area, it means that either the wind speed is too high, the temperature is too high, or the humidity is too low. And that means the danger is too great to light any type of surface fire. Um, so they need to, you know, the, the permits are free. If they do issue permits, they're free. Um, but if they're not issuing any permits at that time, then that would be wise to not um, start a surface fire of any type at, um, on those days. Um, the, you know, I'm not, we are not in the business of writing any type of citations or billing people for what we do. But um, a lot of times if law enforcement shows up and there's not, it, we are not issuing burn permits for the area, they can be fined okay. for that activity. What's the burn permit process? I mean, do you actually have to have a piece of paper in your hand that's issued by nobody nope. you go online um and there's an application to fill out online and they take down your information um as the property owner um 
and basically they I, there is probably a printable page that you can have that says you have a burn permit. So you don't have to go to the township or the county nope, building nope. or anything. Okay. You do it all online. Okay. And it'll actually, like, you can, when you go on to uh, michigan.gov, you go into the burn permit page, and it'll show you a map of Michigan, and it'll tell you what counties are issuing burn, burn permits and which ones are So you, you, the, the beauty of that is it's real time. So mm -hmm. the day you plan to go out and light that fire, before you do that, you log on and... You get your burn it. permit and yep. go forward. Yep. And and the feedback's immediate. It is. Okay, it is. so and how that, how does one draw draw a line between having a fire ring in in your yard and burning your down branches there versus branches just laying raw on the ground? How would are there? Yeah, there. Is it just it's get a, the burn permit and call it? No, it, it, that's a, that's a very good question. So when we talk about um, burn permits, we're talking about burning yard debris. Okay. This time of the year, everybody's anxious to get out and clean up the yards, and that's one of the smartest things they can do for fire prevention because mm -hmm. they've removed all the fuel off their lawn. So if we do get a wildland fire and it does come into the private property, it won't creep across all the fuel on your lawn and start your structures on fire. <clears throat> but in the same sense, the people that are cleaning up their lawns, if they put everything onto a pile and then they ignite that pile, that's when they need to look to find out if there's burn permits being issued. Um, is, is the temperature too high? Is it too windy or is it too dry to light that? Now, if you're doing a, a, a campfire, if you, if you will, with a ring, those you're permitted all year round, unless they put out warnings saying that it's only permitted for use for uh, preparing food. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So, and those versus are very, recreation or right. a practical function. Right. I believe they go call that a red flag. Red flag. Red yep. flag. Okay. And, and those are very rare. There are many days where they don't issue burn permits, and it, it is very rare that they issue a red flag warning where you can't even light any type of fire other than to prepare food. Okay. So. Okay. So, well, to that end, what else do folks need to know about that? What's, are there some other, you know, you guys obviously see a lot of things in that regard. What Construction material. Yeah, I mean, what if you could put yourself in the Wayback Machine, what would you go back and tell the property owner type of thing? So, and obviously, I don't work for the state. I'm not promoting the state, but they have a bunch of good information on there. If they go on to Michigan.gov, there's... Um, fire prevention tips on there. Okay. Um, you know, a few examples of that would be um, to, like I said, log on, see if there's a burn permit issued. If there is a burn permit issued, um, before you ignite the pile of brush, yard debris, whatever it is, check your surroundings. You know, our, it, our, like the instance we had already this year, is my pile located underneath power lines? Is that going to interfere with, you know, the power lines of my flames? What could go to... wrong? Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Ours are up about 60 feet. You know, right? <laughs> You've got a fire coach. <laughs> Melt that baby. you got yeah. a problem. Proper you fire. know, you get... You're going get... to be able to see it from the fire. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you want to check that, you know, am I too close to the trees? Do I have branches hanging over the fire? Are the branches um, going to get heated from the thermal... Um, 
you know, also, energy off the fire. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Chief. I'm just saying, also maybe have a water source handy mm-hmm. just in case sure. it starts to Keep get away from you. Yeah. Yep. Keep eyes on it. Um, you know, all fires should be attended Golly, at all I, times. Yep. I cannot tell you. It's it's shocking to me, you know, as dry as it gets. I, I've driven by places in the fall and seen fires going unattended. It's just like, mm-hmm. it just seems like a recipe for something really bad to happen. And, you know, yeah. quite honestly, all, I would say probably 90% of the fires that we go on that have been started by people mm-hmm. are either unattended or they thought they were out. Oh. So, well, see, there, there's another good one. Yeah. Um, you know, the old Smoky Bear stuff. But mm-hmm. making sure that a fire is out is more than just, yep, no smoke. Right, yeah. right. You want to... Tell our lessons about that a little bit. So the average for, you know, what I've seen mostly is we have a, we had a campfire. We had a large piece of wood in the campfire. Everything around that large piece of wood has been burned away. But the average person doesn't realize is that log or whatever it is in that fire, that large piece of wood is actually holding heat underneath it. There's a bed of coals underneath there. And unless you move around that debris and either put sand on it or water on it, you won't fully extinguish that fire. So, you know, tonight we're having a campfire. There's no wind. It's kind of cool. We burn it. Big chunk of wood in the middle. The morning, the sun comes up, and by 10 o'clock, the winds kick up to 20, 30 miles an hour. Blows away the ash. It reignites the coals to the log. Then it starts to blow sparks out of the fire pit. lands on your dry leaves that you have here in March. And next thing you know, you have ignition. And a one log and a fire ring mm-hmm. turned into however many acres of consumed wildland. Yeah, it's best not to get too tired before uh, and go mm-hmm. to bed before tending to your uh, fire ring. Yep. You almost kind of hate to soak it out, but you kind of have to. Yep. Sure. If you're not going to be around. So. You know, we actually had, it's been quite a few years ago, but we had uh, folks were using charcoal grill. At the end of the evening, when you know before they went to bed or whatever, they decided to dump out the charcoal out of the grill so it was ready for the next day. Mm. And that coal, that uh, charcoal contained heat, sure. and it laid in the leaves all night long because it was damp and cool out that night. And but by ten o'clock the next morning, when the sun got back up, things got heated. The little bit of a breeze kicked up. Um, it ignited the leaf pile, and the leaf pile was in between two structures. That the, the we were actually chasing a surface fire, twenty feet from two structures, at that time. So, you know that could have, uh, if if thankfully somebody was there at the house, and recognized what was going on, but if it would have been a vacation home or something like that on a mm-hmm. Sunday afternoon, where they dumped it and then nobody's around, we could have lost two structures, very quickly. Mm-mm-mm. We also have a few people that that are part-timers will come up to their cottage and have a campfire and leave on Sunday night thinking that they pretty much can just let it go mm. and, and not fully yeah. extinguish it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Not a great idea. No, not at all. Oh, man. Backpackers and campers, I, don't, I think we get at least probably three or four of them every year where people have either backpacked or camped or you know, they set up in a rustic area. They mm. made a they made a ground fire when they you know they were responsible and put the rocks and everything around it, but then they don't fully extinguish it when they leave. 
So typically we get a call somewhere between three o'clock and seven o'clock on Sunday evening that we now have, you know, either a fire that's unattended or a active wildland fire. So, hmm. you know. I agree. Wonders, maybe switching gears a little bit, but you know, you've both been around the block a few times. What are some of the more eventful things you've attended to um, up in our geography? You have more experience with this, Chief. You got any good stories? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's nothing good about a fire. No, right. in, Unless it's a pre-planned burn, but, and even then, um, you hope the weather helps, but I, I've, I've got to imagine, I mean, I've been up here at Opener a few times before we moved up, and I can recall a lot of worried faces mm-hmm. walking around because... Down the way, you know, t- but not that down the way, there was a big act of fire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, smoke would permeate the air depending upon the wind direction and whatever else. But it, some of these events did not seem like a couple hours on an afternoon mm-hmm. run type of thing. This seemed like a multi-day event sort of thing. Can you... Uh, scary ones can be basically in the jack pines. Uh, we had this gentleman that was clearing his lot, and they dug a pit with a backhoe, and we're burning jack pines and everything. Well, it got out of hand. Well, the crew that was cleaning it and lit the fire, it got out of hand and got into the jack pines. We were responding, and you've seen all these trucks and vehicles pulling, going every direction out of the scene. So we assumed it was the cleanup crew vacating as we mm. arrived, yeah. And it can get a little scary because some days the winds shift directions on you and you'll be flanking this fire, and then next thing you know it's coming right at you. So you always have to make sure you have a, a route egress to get out and know your surrounding on how to, you know, vacate it just in case. So being in charge, we have to make sure we're you know, watching all our people know their locations, so, and, okay. what, yeah, and what they're doing. Um, but that's well to work with the DNR on the larger ones, of course. We're assisting them, so um, we've witnessed them doing some, I believe they call it back torch, torching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. They fight fire with fire. Oh, set backfires? Yeah, mm-hmm. if they can't get to it, they'll set a fire along the perimeter and let it burn into it, eliminate the fuel. That's pretty interesting to watch that. We've got to watch the planes drop. That's pretty That's pretty neat to watch, too. See we don't see many of those. A couple of plane drops, it is pretty yeah. intense. Yeah, make sure everybody's out of the area and yeah. watch them come in. <laughs> yeah, they make a quick flyby, and then here they come. And I'd say they're... What, 200 feet in the air, if that. Yeah, they're pretty yeah. So, um, we did many fires resulting from fireworks. I know I've driven around, I've seen people shooting bottle rockets off in a jack pine forest, which seems like the original <laughs> bad idea to me. <laughs> the really one that, you know, <laughs> knock on wood here, Richard. <laughs> I don't think I've seen one from a firework yet. Really? Yeah, that's um, amazing. Were you there on Chupac Lake when they were lighting them one year? And the neighbors kept calling. We did kind of go around and find little, little small smoldering fires at the neighbors, like in their wood wood chips mm. around their shrubs and oh stuff. Oh boy! Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah not to say yep. that it doesn't have the potential. Right. I just, I, I yeah. know, I, I've never seen one yet, yeah. so. Well, is the jack pine as forest, is that any more, uh, from a fire, the ignition, I guess, perspective, is that more uh, prone to a fire than just regular hardwoods or other sorts of pines? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. When them jack pines start torching, it'll just, did you ever light a Christmas tree after Christmas? Watch no, it go up. <laughs> they go up quick. Basically, put a lighter to it, and up it goes. Well, that's what they'll do when it gets hot. Weather's conditions are right, and they call it torching. Yep, it'll just you'll be standing there, turn around, you'll just hear it go swoosh, and up it goes. Yeah, just well, kind of amazing. There's a little to concussive see. action that comes with that yeah. too. I think that is almost as breathtaking as watching it just mm-hmm. spontaneously combust. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's, I mean, for our listeners that may not be familiar, jack pine are just, even when they're alive and thriving, are what the fireman's equivalent mm. of uh, fatwood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. 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 So yeah. green there's, gasoline. <laughs> there's actually two. So because we live in an area where they forest a lot, um, there's a lot of tops and brush and things out there. I mean, it's kind of... It's kind of funny because the average person, when they look out across the landscape, they see the beauty of it. As a firefighter, when you look out across the landscape, you see the fuel load that's out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, and what area has more sure. fuel load than the others? Sure. So when they come in and they do their uh, deforestation or their harvest of the trees, a lot of times the, the tops get left. Um, depending on, you know, if they can chip or what the value of chipping is, things like that. Um, but all of that dead material now becomes fuel load. Um, so that's an ignition point. And then when you get into the jack pine trees, um, the, 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 the scary part about them is, um, with the Kirtland warbler areas that we have around here, which they're, they're harvested to the point where they're kept short for these birds to nest. Well, when those limbs are short to the ground... You can have something as, as, as insignificant as a grass fire worked into an area like that, and now it can ignite the limbs of those trees. And once that sap is ignited, then basically it just runs across the whole patch. Well, yeah, because quickly. again, for those that may not be familiar, jack pine are typically dense mm-hmm. and overlapping, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot of them and. There's a lot, the Kirkland Warbler, you know, needs that. They need that contiguous mm-hmm. forest to, to exist, but there, it also comes, you know, with a challenge. With a challenge. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, so, you know, I, I use terms like surface fire, grass fire, things like that. So a surface fire is, or a grass fire is just the, exactly what it's saying. It's the surface that's on fire. But then when it gets into the trees, it can actually go up a tree and then it becomes... It has the potential to become what they call a crowning fire, where now it's moving across treetops instead of moving across the surface of the ground. Um, and when you get into the crowning aspect, that's um, scary because now you have, you know, hot embers drifting through the air. They're falling down on the ground. Sure. So we don't have a defined head of the fire or a defined flank of the fire because they can spur up in multiple different that's locations. Chunk, yeah, chunk. and then usually a surface fire will follow the crown fire. Right, right. The crown fire will move fast along the trees, mm-hmm. and then the surface will follow it. And back in a few years ago, uh, down in South Branch Township, had a large wildland forest fire. 
and we came in two days later to provide support and as we were going into the burn area uh, we noticed a lot that we'd be driving down a road and see a house that was completely burnt it was down the neighbors untouched but i noticed oh, wow. they had their yard trimmed and mowed then you go down two more houses well that one's on the ground and you'd see like a lot of junk in the yard that was all torched and everything you go two neighbors mowed yards house is still standing so i don't know if that was a what happened with that if it was well, that sounds like a good best practice right, just to keep, to your, keep perimeter your yard maintained but i so, just that was that ross common fire down there what yeah. six years ago? yeah something like that something. Yeah. how many acres did that actually end up burning you know eighteen thousand. Eighteen hundred. Like yeah. oh my gosh yeah it was a big one that's huge and i believe it was just started by a gentleman burning leaves yard debris mm-hmm. <laughs> yep and there was what the one about was she must be twelve years ago where that burned right up to Grayling, right up to the highway in March. Do you yep. remember that one? I was up here before I lived up here. Right back in the nineties, early nineties, yeah. And uh, that one I believe started. I heard rumor that somebody was clearing to build a house, and they dug a pit in the yard and burned all the trees that they used to clear for the house, and thought it was out and uh hot day and low humidity and high winds came in and that thing kicked up and that's how it took off so yeah that was the the one that went down north down river the fan bridge fire yeah 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 there was the one back in the early 2000s that's what i think i'm thinking and that was the what i heard on that one is that was the break off a train had let loose yeah yeah oh okay we're talking different fires right across from the admiral's yeah and then she jumped across the freeway yeah came right into grayling yeah And the other one came from like, I actually remember that one. Yes, the fan almost to Lovells. Yep. Or just into Lovells. Yeah, I was up here staying at Fuller's and somebody came in and said, Grayling's on fire. Said, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the other one was from Stefan to Bald Hill, somewhere out in that area. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like North Down and Stefan Bridge. Yep. yep. Well, what, states burnt flat, what, three times over this, over the years? I mean, from coast or from side to side? Yeah, there was, uh, what was that? The 1800s, early 1900s, it was um, two thirds of the state burnt at that time. Something like 1935. Yeah, I think. something like that. Wow. Because you can yeah. still find the, the stumps, mm-hmm. got the charcoal marks mm-hmm. on them. Yeah. yeah, we didn't have the, the population and the technology to communicate and all that stuff back then. I mean, it was a bunch of small logging communities, and even if you did witness it with a fire moving at that speed, how are you? Best to get out of the way. Yeah, how are you going to communicate it to the next town before it gets there? You know, jump in the river. So, you know, yeah, I've read statistics that the average wildland, depending on the wind speed, but the average wildland moves at about fourteen miles an hour. That's so, incredible. Yeah. So. Well, on these, what with the roads they had up here in nineteen thirty-five, mm-hmm. that's probably as fast as you drive. Yeah. 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 yeah and it's, you know, as narrow as the roads were, so like now we have so many they're considered fire breaks i mean like north down river road county road 612 mm-hmm. bald hill and all these like private roads and driveways and whatnot those are all fire breaks at this time so not you know you go back 100 years they didn't have no the roads weren't as wide they weren't paved they weren't maintained so you didn't have all those fire breaks so she could move wherever wherever the breeze took it mm-hmm. so mm. huh. you know well so um Let's let's you know before we we go away. Let's 
what about inside the house? Could spring a good time for any kind of behaviors? I I think we always associate fire detectors with the fall, but um, do you guys, as a best practice, uh, swap out fire extinguishers or get them charged? Or uh, We did one service. It was about a year ago that we offered uh, free installation of smoke detector and carbon monoxide. Oh, nice. Yep. So maybe in the future, too, we didn't get it out to the public as good as we wanted. We did it through the township newsletter. Okay. And we had a good turnout. We probably did 10 homes. Okay. And we had a, a state um, licensed fire inspector come out, um, FireWise, FireWise inspector, yep. and just give you kind of points and look at your house and say if you did this and this to help you out. Okay. You know? uh, it wasn't basically in the house. It was basically outside okay. for the uh, FireWise officer to come out. Um, as far as inside, you know, of course, clutter is one thing that, you know, if you're kind of a hoarder. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Gives more of a fuel load for us. Okay. Um, we did have one that we couldn't really figure out why the attic space took off so, so bad, so fast, and so hot. The lady collected so trinkets and... She had probably 5,000 of these little figurines and everything. Well, she saved all the boxes, and they were all stacked in the attic. Oh, nice. Yeah. With drive. all their little hay straw to protect them and yeah, Everything, yeah, the yeah, way they came. Great. And, yeah, that attic went right up quick, I right thought, up through yeah. the roof, yeah. That's where I keep my diesel fuel and propane bottles. <laughs> <laughs> right, good thing to keep them above your head. Exactly. Right. And, so, and a big electrical outlet next to it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got that. It's about 10 27-year-old space heater up there. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. But, of course, fire extinguishers are handy to have easy access in your house. Um, and you don't want combustible stored around your furnace. Say if you've got a propane furnace or uh, your hot water tank, you know, keep it, you know, clear of debris and stuff like that. Just common stuff like that. Sure. Smoke, working smoke detectors for everybody's safety and carbon monoxide, so... Ed, anything else on that one? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the what we have learned in the fire services during the time when you change your clocks, change your batteries. Okay. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times these uh, or these days, a lot of your um, devices have ten-year batteries, fifteen-year batteries. So um, at least make sure you're checking them on a monthly basis to make sure that they're actually still working. Okay. Um, you know, if you're if as we get into the spring cleaning mode, if you will. Um, just make sure that you're checking your smoke detectors, your carbon monoxide detectors, and um, as you're going through the garage, like if you have extension cords, things like that, check to make sure that they're not frayed, that they have the ground plug. And they're rated know, for what you're doing. And they're rated for what they're doing, and if they're, yeah. you know, if they're, if they're <laughs> no already... lamp cord with the power drill? Yeah. <laughs> if, they're, if they're showing signs of wear, throw them away. Right. Yeah. You know, because it... Not only do you have the potential for electric shock, you have the potential for a fire. You know, that's a good question because we live up here where some of these cabins go back a thousand years and they've had uh, 22 generations of people moving through them and doing electrical work and things. Do you see a lot of electrical fires? <laughs> Creative wiring um, techniques? Actually, a few. Yes. I've seen a few. The one with the uh, attic fire, that was electrical. Uh, one next door to me was actually electrical, I think, up in the attic. Mm -hmm. old, old wiring. It wasn't updated and... Probably a 1940s house built with the old cloth electrical wire. Uh, that was the origin of the fire. Um, so 
I guess too is just to look how out of date your house is. Um, I know a lot of people don't have the money to upgrade stuff. It's expensive these days, but you know, this gentleman lost his entire structure over that. So, yeah. well, if you look around, you see a lot of places where they've got you know the old two wire, you know, brown extension cords, you know. Mm -hmm. And they're nailed to the wall. And, oh, we, and yeah, we've seen a lot of that. And, and that's the thing. It's I used like, to be an electrician. That scares me. <laughs> so if you have a house, I mean, this may be Greek to some folks, but if you have a house that's built 100 years ago and it has a 60-amp service in it, you can't expect it to do everything that the house a that your modern house is doing with a 200-amp service. Um, and don't expand its capability to do more than what it's capable of doing with extension cords and power strips and you got 60 amps coming in yeah. if you want to run an electric dryer and a stove mm -hmm. right problems. right <laughs> so you know they're making modifications to to utilize more energy but the house and the wiring can't support that type of energy so it's, it's good to be creative but just not in that fashion correct mm -hmm. right. you know and and if you truly have the need then upgrade the electrical system to a 100 amp or 200 amp service make the investment to keep the structure versus taking the risk. You're probably going to need to make it anyway when you sell the house right. mm -hmm. to right. pass code and, yep. you know, pass inspection or whatever. So, so Exactly. Yeah. We read a training recently, and they showed a video of a legacy home versus modern. Now, do you remember the numbers on when they lit the both rooms on fire? Yeah, so the legacy, legacy would be like anything like back in the 1970s and beyond. Or before. And, and before. Um, and then uh, the... Modern. Modern. It was like into the 1990s and newer because we had the, you know, the legacy and modern were, they were taking steps to become modern, but they were still legacy in between those times. But anyways, when they ignited the two rooms on fire, um, the legacy took like 14 minutes to flash over is what it's called. So that's where the contents of the room are burning. They put up gases to the ceiling most people under see that as smoke but those are gases to us and that's unburned fuel when that ceiling reaches 1250 degrees it'll ignite into flames it just pops yeah and that's what they consider a flashover so it was 14 minutes on the legacy and it was three and a half minutes on the modern what with the materials with they're the using. materials they're, they're using today because yeah. now you have petroleum and you don't have the natural fibers of couches and things that back in the legacy days you have petroleum and chemicals to make cushions and whatnot so wow. wow and that was just your basic living room furniture sofa chair tv and that kind of stuff no yeah. i guess so. that makes sense you think about it Dender. Yeah. Yeah. i always think about this place i'm living you know it's logs yeah no. they got started you know so that brings me to a good point john i don't know if we still have time or not sure but we're made of time okay um we're here for you with the modern <laughs> With the modern home now having a, a, a flashover point of three and a half, four minutes at the most per room with just room and contents burning, um, folks do need to have an exercise, an exit plan. Um, most of the times these fires in, in a structure don't happen when we're all awake and alert and can see everything. Um, so you do have to come up with an exit plan, a strategy of where how everybody, are, how everybody is going to exit a building giving this scenario this scenario or this scenario um and practice that don't just talk about it and draw it out on a piece of paper have you or your family practice it um just like we do at schools and hospitals and every place else um 
Fire fire drills a fire drill. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, um, the what I've seen in my experience on fires are is we're not prepared. So if a fire happens in the middle of the night and you're able to exit the building, that's exactly the goal to do. But then it can actually become a miserable task when you're standing out there in your, you know, BVDs and bare feet. Sure. And so have, an, uh, have a strategy that, you know, make yourself a jump bag that has a pair of shoes, a pair of socks, a pair of pants, a shirt. Um, maybe keep uh, your most important documents like your homeowner's insurance, your car titles, your deed to your house or your property in a, in a small carry safe and put those in the closet of your main bedroom together. So if your smoke alarms do go off and you do see red underneath the door, you, grab, you know that if you grab these two bags or grab these two items and make exit with you and your family, not only are you, you know, keeping everybody safe, but now you're going to have dry clothes to put on once you're out of the structure and you're going to have all your important documents with you. Or you may lose some of those things that are... Um, or at least copies of them, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. that you can't replace. You may lose some of those items you can't replace, but you're not going to have, right. you know, such a terrible time that evening while it's all taking place so and it's important to make sure I'd, it was funny because i think last year the year before when we did this um most folks didn't know that you should sleep with your bedroom door closed really you know that way if there are if there are if there is a, a fire in your house and say your smoke detector does fail um or even if it doesn't fail it gives you uh it substantiates the amount of time you have to exit your room um, because you're stopping any of the gases from going in mm -hmm. there. So the environment that you're in is still a stable environment. It's doesn't So the heat to... makes everything rise anyway, and yeah. it's going to find the path of, path of least resistance. Yep. Yep. And so it's going to spread out as it hits the ceiling. Correct. And mm -hmm. go into your bedrooms and right. such. Yep. Okay. So your smoke detector goes off. Your living room already has a 700-degree thermal layer at the ceiling, but your bedroom with the door closed is still at 100 degrees. Okay gives you a couple more minutes to get your composure get things together okay. and make a plan good info yes what about uh talk about your ems mission a little bit yeah um sorry i didn't realize that was my <laughs> that's your that's yeah over to you <laughs> um so we're a first responder unit here in uh levels um uh, non-transport non-transport and basically, um, you know, if you have a 911 call that uh, has some type of medical emergency, our rescue rig will come to your home um, with licensed professionals that can come in, uh, basically do the um, basics to uh, get you ready for transport from the ambulance and, and get that ambulance crew when they show up, save them valuable time because they don't have to get like the first or second set of vitals they have a clear picture of what they're dealing with so when they get on scene. The ambulance comes from Frederick. Is, is that our only? No. Nope. No. Um, so it all depends on where you are in the township. Typically, it's going to come out of Frederick or it's going to come out of Grayling through uh, mobile medical response. Um, but depending on where you're at, I mean, if you were at the... Town line is the cutoff. Yeah. But if you're at the far northeast corner, you may get um, Lewiston versus frederick you may you know it, it all depends on who we request or 
multiple next yep. level. Yep. But usually during the initial page, it'll be Frederick. Yep. That is their jurisdiction with yep. us. So well, it might be worth mentioning now that Lovell's Township is three squares. Three square mile, yep, so blocks. Three times as large as an ordinary township. Yep. Right. Our population is still down, what, around 600 full time? Yeah. Something like that, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Six to seven. So it's not a dense population area here. I believe no. they call it town and range, is it? I don't know. I should probably shouldn't yeah. say that. A lot of people move here. Um, <laughs> I mean, that is one thing to check when you move into a rural area like this is to see where your local, you know, ambulance comes from and your local hospital. A lot of people, how far is it to the hospital? Well, you're about a 30-minute ride. Yeah. Well, didn't you realize that when you moved here? No. They had no clue. Yeah. So. Well, if you know. want to urban place, you know, you just, you never really, you know, it's just not on the top of your head. Right. Yeah. You're yeah, so when used you're to civil for services, that it's you know, on the uh, severity of the run too. You may have an option to go to Otsego County or to Grayling, but priority will go right to Grayling. Mm -hmm. They go right straight, no matter what you say. Well, they're equipped for trauma, there, aren't they? Correct. Yeah. Because I actually did look before we moved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a few icy winters, so we we understand about the emergency room mm -hmm. thing down there. Yeah. Yeah, our, um, our department is up here on the north end of the township, and then we also have a, a, a small supply shed at the dump at the south end of the oh, township. Oh, okay. Um, and like Just we, a little gear garage type thing? Yeah, sure. yeah, we carry stuff for EMS, and then we also carry a few 20-pound uh, fire extinguishers down there. Oh, cool. So like the wildland that we were on two weekends ago, I went there first, grabbed a 20-pound extinguisher, and actually started using that as, as, as these guys were responding to it. And then the same thing with our EMS calls. Um, there's many times where us that live on the south end will go to that little shed and we'll respond to the call so we can have a, a faster uh, response to the patient as we're waiting for the other incoming units. Yeah, with a so. full first in bag, just the same as the rig would have. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. Yeah. Yep. No, just standard. And we also have firefighters down there that will communicate on the radio as the EMT goes to the scene. The firefighter will acquire the equipment so you guys get dispatched through uh crawford county dispatch? correct yeah. yes mm -hmm. so we just call the dispatch down there if we need help and basically 911 yeah. 911 yep and yes. we're running off the 800 megahertz radios it's a great improvement up here for us oh, we yeah. were on the high band and usually out in levels here you get a call from central with a handheld and they you couldn't get to it we had to run getting a mobile unit to answer them and by then they'd call you three times thinking you're ignoring them. So you had to get to a truck. So we went to these 800 megahertz and yeah, they're phenomenal. They work great. It makes a big difference. It does. It? Very big difference. That's great. You guys uh, talk about that a minute. You guys seem to be pretty well equipped. I mean, you got the new pumper a few years ago with the four wheel drive. And Correct. All of our equipment is all wheel drive. Uh, a lot of people think it's because of the snow, but it's actually the sand. Mm -hmm. yeah when we go into these mm -hmm. places yeah so you've got a little um, higher clearance and yeah and all-wheel drive our our engines our pumpers our tankers and ems everything is all-wheel drive uh, we've got a very good township board and we've got a lot of nice equipment we have a local uh, friends of the levels township that support us for fundraising a lot of good you know mm -hmm. funds come in to support us so we're very well equipped from EMS and well, fire. Anytime I have an occasion to go into fire barn, I've always been you know, reasonably impressed that you guys yeah. seem mm -hmm. to be really yeah. well equipped there, and everything. A lot of people. For yeah. a little community in the woods, yeah. we have 
provision not too badly. Mm -hmm. We have 13 on the roster, all certified. Uh, some are strictly fire, some are uh, just medical, and some are both. So, okay. Yeah. We have EMTs. So good deep bench. And, and we have MFRs and then, of course, certified firefighters. So, Right on. Yeah. I love it. Uh, the only bad downput on that is uh, a lot of us work full-time jobs elsewhere, but uh, we also have good surrounding mutual aid with uh, every township in Crawford and our surrounding counties, too, is Mount Morency, Otsego County, Oscoda County. So... So if we have a fire, we could have 50 people there within within the hour. So just nice. keep calm, mutual aid. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Well, gentlemen, any last pieces of advice before we uh, sign off? And uh, One quick thing I forgot during home safety, if you run sure. a wood burner or a fireplace, uh, maintenance on that. How often uh, do you have people clean their chimneys? Uh, some are fluent but some are that's when we get called for the chimney fire so okay. yeah, yeah really best practice yearly or it really all depends on the material that you're burning in it and if yeah. the moisture content of it too i did a little experimenting you burning wet oak you're going to be cleaning your chimney i burned dry popple i had nothing as far as creosote so it just depends what you're burning and i mm -hmm. had a good practice i would clean i had a wood burner I had a three-foot steel pipe, uh, eight-inch, that vented into a masonry chimney. Uh, that was about, depending like what the moisture content of my oak was, it could be as three weeks to clean that pipe inside the house. And then say, oh, January, nice sunny but cool mm -hmm. day, I'd get up and hit the chimney one time. I didn't get much out of it, but I got some. So um, all of our chimney fire calls are from lack of maintenance uh, i have a guy in every year <clears throat> just swab that thing out yeah. and do whatever they do to it and, so, that, and that's the best practice is to get a professional and if you can't do it yourself correct yep, yep and have them come i mean have them come and clean the chimney and inspect it and then you know if and then if you're going to take care of it yourself at least then you know you're starting with a good uh product that's clean that's safe Sure. And then you know if you if you want to have a professional come out every couple years after that, and and just inspect it for you and make sure everything is getting cleaned because we do have, we've been at a couple chimney fires where the chimney itself was clean but the ledges inside there or the uh, at the dam like level a, yeah, and then, yeah they were you know so full of material that that's what ignited okay you know so you know the homeowners can do a good job. But if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know, so they don't True. realize there's this. Well, yeah, not everybody's got a camera that they can yeah. drop down their yeah. chimney and look. Yeah. So. so we had a couple too, also with inserts, where they have the kind of this chamber around that the air flows through and gets hot air and blows it out into your room. Mm. Those rotted out on top, inside the firebox of the chimney of the fireplace, and there was smoke coming out of the air vent. It's so, okay, that's not right. So we had to pull it. It was rotted out, got a chimney fire, and it all started inside the fire, oh, wow. you know, inside the air chamber there. So that's kind of hard, but after a few years, you maybe need to pull that out and just take a look at it. So Yeah, they gas the whole place out. Yeah. That's good advice. Mm -hmm. You're dead before you saw a flame. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of them, I believe, we took like the amount of a garbage can, regular full size garbage can full of 
creosote out of that falling down in the years and it finally ignited it oh good grief we got the chimney fire out we emptied the firebox and it was still burning we're like how can this be so we removed the insert and found the big hole rotted in the top of it and that's where it was all burning hmm. so yeah, hmm. guy used to live up there by the river i won't say his name yeah, no names mentioned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his, his chimney was so gummed up on the smoke ledge that the, uh, the damper wouldn't you know, wouldn't move anymore. Oh yeah, we've had to get pike right. poles and chip it out of there and beat it out. And yep. yeah, he yep. finally got after that. I think he took out about a bushel basket. I believe it's the same gentleman. We went there for a chimney fire in his wood burner, and he didn't want us to take the fire out of the out of the wood burner. Just put the chimney fire out. I'll be good because they didn't want to start another fire. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta make life easy. Yeah. yeah. Colorful clientele. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. John, John and Richard, if I could leave your listeners with one uh, piece of advice oh, or please. a little bit of knowledge is uh, very rarely do we get a fire that's caused by natural causes, you know, lightning strike or <laughs> things of that nature. Yeah. Most of the, 95% of them are uh, lack of diligence and maintenance or some kind of human carelessness uh, carelessness <laughs> if you will so very rarely do we get one that is a uh, is, is a, a totally fire. random freak event and, versus yeah, something that could have been prevented nature, exactly so um that's just what they take the time to be safe exactly exactly you'll get the occasional high winds knock a we have these popples and levels here tall trees and they kind of snap real easy they'll snap into a power line knock sure. it it's still hot we've had grass fires start <laughs> with power lines as well so and what were those things called the last time we were on the one? Oh gosh you you, you <laughs> test on. me on this every so many fulgurites i believe fulgurite fulgurites i yeah. believe is what they're called never heard it pronounced that way before so. uh, what, 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 how do you never mind <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. so if i i believe i'm pronouncing it correctly but um and for the listeners out there so they it's uh what we did is you can actually get them from lightning strikes out in the desert out west but here in northern michigan what we had was we had a uh what it what would it be a high tension line or a energized line that correct um touched the wet soil which in our area i believe it's, it's the sand it's the, the sand, sand that does yeah. it mm. so it touched the wet sand and it kept energizing the ground in one location well then the the power eventually got cut we um, extinguished the grass around it and what we found was every time we'd spray this one spot a bunch of steam would come up so we ended up digging to find out what was still hot down there and when we got down there it's a glass chamber did you find yeah. glass mm-hmm. that just yeah. fused yeah, yeah. so the sand melted there was so much energy there i think it said it had to have uh something like ten thousand degrees fahrenheit in order to wow. form the glass and but the one we pulled out was probably the size of your laptop or a little bigger. Wow. So yeah, do we still have that? I think so. Somewhere yeah, in the somewhere department. at the station. Wow, yeah. Heard of that. Yeah. yeah, let me know the next time you find one of those. We use it for paperweight. Yeah, door <laughs> yeah. stop or something. You can actually clean them. Like ours had a bunch of sand on the outside, and then it's sand. But I guess you can be uh, uh, careful with it, and you can clean them out, and basically have a glass tube that has all these natural fingers. And yeah, whatnot. they do stuff with yeah, them, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's pretty well. Yeah. So, yeah, auction it off. 
There you go. You know, your next uh, next bridge walk. Yeah. yeah, we did talk about putting it. We on Fund our next fire vehicle. I'm in a historical society. <laughs> we did talk. First about reaction is go to a fundraiser. Yeah, yeah we exactly. did in the bridge walk on a silent auction <laughs> yeah. type deal, and you know <laughs> that is kind of our go-to move. Yeah. <laughs> putting, the, putting the poll number off of Bald Hill Road where yeah. it occurred. And, nice. Well, gentlemen, thank you. I really appreciate you. And, and again, recognizing that aside from protecting our community with your service, you're working a full-time gig all the time, too. So it, it really means a lot that you took time out of your evening and your free space to uh, hang out with us and entertain our listeners and hopefully educate them a little bit. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, John. Richard, thank you guys for us. being around and uh, pass it on to all the men and women that work with you that we appreciate yes. your services. Yes, and tell, it, tell them all to give the thing a listen. <laughs> so support their chief and assistant chief. Yeah, buy a hat. Yeah, yeah buy a hat. There you go. <laughs> Raffle ticket. Okay, guys, thank you. Okay, thank, thank you, you, sir. Outstanding. Yeah, Gary and Ed, uh, really appreciate that. And uh, listeners, thank you all very much uh, for your continued literature. Uh, we'll be back with one more special hot stove edition. Uh, kind of unexpected, so we'll throw a bonus episode in uh, before our trout season opener. So until next time, be safe. <laughs>